Well, if you have a Bible with you, uh, it'd be great to have a look at those verses that uh, Debbie read to us, because we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It's interesting, isn't it? We get to this time of year, happens every year, doesn't it? Every year. And we focus on the birth of Jesus. And yet, in these verses, this word saviour is used. I don't know if you've ever reflected on it. How do we, as Christians, as those who believe that Jesus Christ came to the world to save us, how do we convince the world out there that he, he is a saviour? Because actually one of the biggest issues that we have is convincing people that there is actually something they need saving from. And the thing is, once people realise that they have something that they need saving from, they realise that they need a saviour. If I can use an, a bit of an illustration here, um, let's have a think about how we respond to external threats. Now, there was a very obvious example in front of us. In fact, if you're sitting there with a mask, which seems like everybody is, apart from me, um, then we have a visible reminder of what is perceived to be an external threat. 21 months or so ago, um, we, for the first time, we had to enter restrictions. And we're in a situation now where the threat again, level again has, has, has raised. And what's really interesting, I find, is the different reactions that people have to it. The threat remains the same. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you think about it, the threat remains the same. Yet there are some people who would say, we're far too fast to go into restrictions, we're far too fast to do this. There are some who said we should have done this months ago. Um, and we've had this throughout the whole pandemic. Some say we're too cautious. Others say we're too reckless. People respond in different ways. And I think the point is here is that if we reflect on the fact that there is something that we need saving from here, I don't think it should be any surprise that there's going to be a difference in reaction of people to that external threat. If we go back to the time of Jesus, just think back 2,000 years or so. Here was the Jewish nation that was under Roman oppression. Uh, and the Jewish nation had been sort of hanging on um, and it seems to be honest, because there's an awful long time uh, between the, sort of the major things happening in the Old Testament and now this point in time. And then in the middle of it, some 400 years later, this, this sort of gap, you have the angel appearing to Mary to say that the Saviour is coming. And you think, how, how is that going to be received by the people at the time? Because many had probably forgotten that, in fact, that this Messiah had been promised. And then we fast forward to our own society today. How about we have a society that has even less awareness that it needs a saviour? About three weeks or so ago, um, in, our, in our Tuesday evening home group, um, we were, we were sort of reflecting and sharing this idea about when we talk to people about our faith as Christians, what do we talk about? How do, how, do we, how do we essentially bring off it as Christians? As Christians? And very often, um, we, people were very honest in the group, and they said, well, we talk about our faith, about how it affects us individually. 
about you know the difference it makes to us, and that's a, that's a valid thing, and that's a, that's a good thing. But the group was also very honest in saying that actually we don't always bring it back to Jesus, and yet actually that that's a reflection for us today is how much when we talk about our faith and we talk about the need for a saviour that we bring it back to Jesus. Now outside of this time of year, we rarely teach on these passages, and yet they are absolutely crucial, as I hope I will show you today. Because here, as one commentator put it, this is a unique story of a unique person with a unique conception and a unique message and ministry. Because although Jesus is literally only mentioned in the last words of the passage today, literally the last word, verse 25, he's actually the central figure of it. And we'll go, and although there are other people in the passage who play their part, and we will look at them, this passage is squarely about Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at it under three headings today. Firstly, how Jesus came. Secondly, who he really is. And thirdly, well, what difference should it make to us? So firstly, the first point, how Jesus came. Now, as Adrian very helpfully last week brought to us, he, he, in the first 17 verses, if you want to have a look at it, of the passage, he did the genealogy of Jesus. Actually, how Jesus came, the whole lineage that all came all the way from Abraham. It, it, it's Ancestry.com stuff. It, it's wonderful. It takes you through the whole thing. And it's important because it shows that Jesus has his roots as being fully human in the Jewish line. And it concludes in verse 17, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. It's that word, Messiah. And it's repeated again in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now the word Messiah literally means the one anointed with oil. The one who's been set apart. The one who's, who's there for priestly or royal role, role, roles. The one who is to be the deliverer of Israel. But you see, in order for the credentials of Jesus to be shown, that he was more than just a mere man in the land of Abraham, actually had to be shown that he was also from God. And therefore, we have the account here of the virgin birth. Now, would you believe that there's a lot of scholars who actually find the story of the virgin birth more unbelievable than the story of the resurrection? They actually find it a harder thing to conceive and to believe. But actually, if you, if you read the way the story is told, I think it really adds to the credibility of the story. If you put yourself in, in, in the, being Joseph, for example, how this would have come about. It, 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 it was messy. It, it didn't follow a usual pattern. And I think that adds to its credibility. Since Joseph is betrothed to be married to Mary. Now, betrothal back in those days wasn't like engagement today. People get engaged, they might get married, you know, in our case, about seven months later. But we got engaged this time of year, uh, 20 years ago, just remembered. Um, and so wedding anniversary next year. Um, so, so it took us seven months. But there's some people I know who are engaged for years and years and years 
because they want to put weddings, particularly poor people who've had the COVID restrictions, who've had to put off their wedding again and again. But it was very, very different in that society. A, a betrothal, really, was almost akin to marriage, without physical consummation or, or living together. Um, you couldn't break off a betrothal easily. It was almost like a divorce. And it was a public disgrace for a woman to be pregnant during that period. Because it meant that she had broken the one rule of it, in that she'd been, uh, well, in this case, one imagined unfaithful. Because her and Joseph had not had any physical relations. And there was actually a really severe punishment. Punishment of stoning if this happened. And so Mary finds out that she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And actually Joseph is in the position of being the first man ever to have found out that his wife was pregnant, where he knew that actually he had had nothing to do with it, and nobody else had been involved at all. So Joseph actually shows a real balance of righteousness. He wants to do the right thing. He's faithful to the law. But he also shows compassion to her. He doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he has it in mind to divorce her quietly. Now think about this. Imagine you were Joseph. You're faced with a really, really difficult situation here. Because if you do the wrong thing, then you could be exposed to public disgrace. This isn't Hollywood. This is gritty reality. And yet, Joseph averts his course of action after the intervention of an angel. Verse 20. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph is told two things in that dream. The first is the baby has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, that the baby will be called Jesus. And we'll go on to consider the significance of this in due course. Joseph listens to what the angel says to him and acts on it accordingly. He does the right thing. He remains pure. And the baby is born. So Jesus comes to earth through nothing other than a miracle. The miracle of a virgin birth. Now there are some who said, well, it doesn't really make any difference, does it? The virgin birth. It's a lovely story, but it's not important, really. The truth is, they probably couldn't be further wrong. Because if you take away the virgin birth, you take away, really, the very essence of Jesus. And what is that essence? The essence is that we know he's holy man, but also that he is holy God. He is holy man and he is holy God. And that is really, really important as we'll go on to see. Before we jump off this, though, let's just have a little look at Joseph himself. Joseph isn't the central character here, but he does show remarkable judgment and restraint that actually we could learn from. You see, he's a godly man. He's faithful to the law. Although, to our Western eyes, we would probably struggle to understand why he would want to do this thing, he's doing actually the right thing in the eyes of the law. When a betrothed wife falls pregnant, actually, he is following what the law says. But actually, he deals with her really gently, with compassion. He doesn't make a fuss about it. He plans to do things quietly so she won't be exposed to public disgrace. And then when the angel makes it clear what has actually happened, Joseph again is obedient. 
and he remains pure as well. I think it's a really good model on how to behave in difficult circumstances when life throws these kind of things. So that was firstly how Jesus came. But then secondly, who he really is. Well, as we've already said, we've had the who do you think you are from last week, in terms of we understand Jesus comes down the Abrahamic line. But the angel intervenes here and says, he is called, and, and he's called Jesus for a reason. The angel says, she will give birth to a son, and you ought to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Now when the angel says this, the angel is directly quoting from the Old Testament. In Psalm 130, verses 7 to 8, it says these words, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. You see, what happens with the virgin conception and birth is to fulfil what is told in the Old Testament. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfil what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the reference is Isaiah 7.14. Now the Old Testament has many, many other references to the birth of Jesus and the coming of the Messiah. Here's what, and one in particular that struck me actually, Leviticus 26.12. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I'll repeat that again. Leviticus 26.12. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. That is what has been foretold. And that is what God decides to do. There's two clear themes to draw from what who Jesus actually is. He's firstly cast in the role of saviour. The saviour from the threat that hovers over all mankind. The threat of the fact that God's judgment has to come on the sin in the world. But he comes to save us from that. But also the God who decides to come and walk amongst us. Again, by way of, by way of illustration, I, I, I don't know if you can remember right back to the beginning of 2020, when we had the whole thing about coronavirus, as it was more, mostly known back then, or COVID. Um, and how people didn't really consider it to be too much of a big deal. We'd had bird flu, hadn't we? We'd had SARS, we'd had MERS, well, at least Hayden told me about murders. I'd forgotten about that. Um, but we had all these things that were supposed to be big threats, and they never really came to anything. So I think people were a bit like, ah, it's just another flu, isn't it, this thing, and all the rest of it. And I remember going to Spain uh, as a family in, in February of 2020, and we saw one person in a face mask on a bus. And we thought, well, they're being a bit cautious there, aren't they? And all the rest of it. It only took a month later before the entire country went into lockdown. And isn't it, it, it's interesting, isn't it, how the, the perception amongst the world out there is that there isn't really anything particularly that they need saving from. And yet the effect of sin on this world means that a just God cannot do anything other than bring about judgment on it. And the difference between the, the, the problem of sin and the problem of COVID is that in the case of COVID, some people sadly will die from it. 
We know that sin is a death sentence on all. Because of what we have done to separate ourselves from God. God cannot tolerate it. So the only way that God can overcome that, the only way it can be dealt with, was for God to take the place of man. To face that terrible judgment by going to the cross, suffering a horrific death, and then coming back to life. And in order to do that, God had to become holy man and had to be a saviour whilst also remaining holy God. And that leads us to the second point of this, that God had to be with us to become one of us. Now, I don't know if, um, if Wayne, you, is Wayne here? No, he's, he's not. Wayne's leading our service next week. Uh, I don't know what Christmas carols we've yet decided to sing. But if we do sing Silent Night, uh, I'm afraid to tell you that there is some bad theology in the, in the carol of Silent Night. And it's a line, no crying he makes. I do not believe that for a minute. Because the whole point about Jesus Christ is he was holy man. And if anyone's ever had a baby, they will know that babies generally cry quite a lot. And, um, and I'm quite sure that Jesus was as normal a baby as any other one that you would come across. The whole point was Jesus came to earth as a, as a normal man. He wasn't some kind of superman. He felt everything that we felt. He had a full range of human characteristics. He had a normal job for 30 years. And yet at the same time, he had a full range of divine characteristics and the ultimate authority over sin and death. The famous preacher Spurgeon once said, Observe the wonder of condescension contained in this fact, that God, who made all things, should assume the nature of one of his creatures. Just let that sink in. God, the creator of the universe, chose to walk among us and experience everything that we have. I don't know if any of you um, have ever watched the television programme, The Undercover Boss. Anyone ever seen that at all? The, the one or two looking a bit bemused. So I'll explain the basic premise of the series, which is how you have a workplace, a normal sort of workplace or whatever, and they, they tell you that the chief executive officer, the top guy or the top woman, um, is going to go into this normal office, uh, and, and the people there have no idea that they're the top person. And uh, it's quite interesting, they film the reaction. Uh, of, of how they sort of come along um, and, and they treat him like a, a, or her like a normal person and then suddenly there's the big reveal on the final day and they're really shocked because actually they realise that this person is, a, is quite a normal person they've elevated them up to this level and they, they realise actually they're alright they're like one of them and I, I just think it's incredible to think that God was willing to do that the fact he was willing to come to earth and live amongst us because he loved us so much that he wanted to come and save us. So it invites the final question here. Is, well, what difference should this make to us? What difference should it make to us? Um, about a month or two ago, I was, um, I, I was invited for an evening out um, with um, a client, somebody I, I, I do a certain amount of work for. And uh, we had a meal together, and um, actually it's interesting because he, he, he comes from a Sikh background. 
And we, we were talking about the differences between our respective faiths. He obviously knew that I was a Christian. And he was trying to persuade me that actually, look, there are many different ways to God. Um, and the interesting thing was, and the bit where it was a real stumbling block in our conversation, was Jesus. Because the point is, if Jesus was God, and Jesus said, the only way to God is through me, that, that does make it a bit of a difference. And Jesus Christ, and what he stood for, is really, really important. Because he came as a saviour to the world that desperately needed him. He walked among us and was fully man and fully God. He wasn't some kind of deity that talked down from some high. He was one of us. And I think the challenge often of when we as Christians talk about our faith is actually just not to think about what our faith brings to us as, 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 a, as a person. That's a good thing to say, but actually, it's actually, what is our faith about? The subject of our faith is Jesus Christ. Him as a person, and what he came to do. Spurgeon again said, being with us in, in our nature, God was with us in all life's pilgrimage. Scarcely can you find a halting place in the journeys of life at which Jesus had not paused on. Were you in the cradle? He was there. Were you a child under parental authority? Christ was also a boy at home in Nazareth. Have you entered your life battle? Your Lord and Master did the same. Where can you find yourself? Where Jesus has been. On the hilltop, in the valley, in the land, in the sea, in the daylight, in the darkness. Where can you be without discovering that Jesus has been there with you? You see, the God that we worship is not a remote, distant deity. He is someone who experienced what we did. Often, when I talk to people and find out you know, the, the difficulties that people have in their lives, people say, you, you have no idea what I'm going through here. You don't understand the pain. And, and I'll be honest, as a normal man, I, I do find it really difficult when people have had real trauma in their lives to understand it. Real sadness, real heartache. But the thing is, by pointing them to Jesus Christ, here is someone who has experienced all of that. You see, he was a man as a man on, on, on the earth, he was tempted almost every day. Almost every day he was on earth, he was tempted. You say you're lonely. Jesus knew what loneliness was. He knew what loneliness was beyond the capabilities of most of us. In fact, he was cut off from God the Father. He knows what it is to be hated and outcast by people. He had... His Jewish brethren, the teachers of the law, who outcast and rejected him. One of his, his closest friends rejected him and sent him to his death. He knows what it is to be hated and outcast by people. He understands how relationships can fracture. The difficulty of breakdown in relationship, again, with Judas. And he understands pain. He went to the cross and he took the weight of the world on his shoulders for each one of us. I think when we show people Jesus, when we show people what Jesus did, I, I think it's incredible to show the empathy of, 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 of situations that people find themselves. A saviour that understands you. God with us. Emmanuel, that's what it literally means. God with us. You see, as Christians, 
We're not here because we are better people than the world around us. In fact, to be honest, I think the more we read and study the Bible, the more I think we realise how depraved we are. Actually, how wretched we are, and how much in need of a saviour we are. Paul writes in Romans 8, for, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, the law could never save us due to our sinful nature, but Jesus' sacrifice made us righteous before God, and we're given the Holy Spirit to equip us for every good work. So what? So, so what should we do? Well, I think when we talk to people about our faith, let's actually talk about this wonderful message from Christmas of love. God loved the world so much, he loved us so much, that he was willing to send his son into it. He was willing to walk amongst us. But he was also came and was willing to sacrifice himself as a saviour to save us from our sins. I, I apologise if, if, if any of you have heard this story before, but um, a couple of years ago I was, I was on a train uh, coming out of New Street Station in Birmingham, I, I commute pretty much um, on, a, on a, an almost daily basis into Birmingham. And on this particular occasion, there was a man who was sitting opposite me um, with a Bible open in front of him. And I, and I sort of looked at the, being a nosy person I am, I, I looked at the uh, spine to see what Bible it was. And it was a translation, I'll be honest, that I hadn't, hadn't seen before. And so I said to him, I said, um, what, um, you know, how, how are you getting on with that translation of the Bible? And he said, oh, well, I don't know really, to be honest, because it's the first Bible I've ever read. I said, oh. I said, so, um, I said, so, are, are, you not a, are you not a Christian then? He said, no, no, I'm not a Christian. I said, so, might I ask, why, why are you reading the Bible? Well, it's, you know, and he said, well, actually, he said, I've just been to see a show down in London, Jesus Christ Superstar. And he said, and do you know what? I was quite intrigued by this person, Jesus. And he said, and I thought, well, the best place to read about Jesus is to read the Bible. And I thought, well, that's the right answer. Absolutely. And I said, well, what, what, what have you made of it so far? He said, well, it's all a bit made up, isn't it? You know, this, this story. I said, well, you don't believe that Jesus really existed? He said, well, I kind of need to be convinced of that. And I said, well, look, I said, I can... I can probably spend the rest of our limited train journey here between here and Coventry trying to persuade you of all the evidence. And there is lots and lots of evidence that Jesus is a historical figure and existed. But actually, I, I, I can tell you as somebody who believes in Jesus that Jesus makes an enormous difference to your life if you take him seriously. And I then just shared with him actually the difference that Jesus had made in my life. And actually what Jesus actually did and the love that he showed. And we had a, it was a good, good conversation at the end of it. He thanked me and said that he would, he would read the gospel properly and look at the character of Jesus. I, I was, I, I, that conversation was an utter privilege. And it made, it made me think that all the time that we talk about our faith, 
in a distant God. We need to bring it back to Jesus. Because Jesus came to this earth to show God's love for us because we needed him. And if there's one message that we take away from this season, is that God is love, and that was shown through Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the fact that you love the world so much that you send your only son to walk among us, to live along, uh, alongside us, but ultimately to become our saviour. And we pray for those who we know, who we love, who we care for, who don't know this truth. Who don't understand the need of the fact that they are in need of a saviour. And this is an urgent need, this is an important need, this is a vital need, this is a matter of life and death. But we pray that you would help us to be able to explain and point people to Jesus. Out of just sheer love and compassion for them. Not in a judgmental way, but in a way that shows the love that you showed to us first. And we pray at this time of year that people would, with all the uncertainty and the mess that the world is in, would want to turn back to you. Amen.